0: Good morning, I'm Brian Barrett, lead pastor here at Grace Covenant. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're glad that you're with us here to celebrate with us on this Resurrection Sunday. Uh, our text this morning is uh, Mark chapter 16. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 853 of that Bible. We've been going through uh, the book of Mark, and so we here this Easter morning come to the end of the book of Mark. What better place to end uh than with the event that gives the whole story its coherence, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If you've been with us this last number of weeks, we've been uh for, for several weeks now talking about what happened as we've come to this place in Mark, what happened in the last week of Christ's uh life here on earth before the crucifixion, when he um, came into Jerusalem at Passover time. When he was welcomed in by the crowds, and then when he began his critique of the temple, when he began his confrontation of the, with the religious leaders, that eventually ended in his death. And in chapter 15, we have Mark's record. As we looked last Sunday, we have Mark's record of the crucifixion, the trial, crucifixion, and death of Jesus. And imagine for a moment uh, if if the story and the gospel of Mark just ended right there. With the final words of Jesus being spoken, uh, it is finished. I'm wondering what maybe the disciples, as they watch from a distance, may be heard in those words. We know that Jesus meant, and they were soon to learn that Jesus meant, that all the work that was required for God to reconcile people to himself was done. It was finished. But maybe for those first disciples, as they see the one in whom they had put their hope, one they'd been following for three years, the one that they thought was the coming king, when they see him crucified on the cross, saying, it is finished, maybe they thought just that. It is finished. It is over. It's over. This is not the way we thought this was going to go. Maybe we can imagine the despair that set in for them on the eve of Good Friday and all through the next day as they gathered mourning but one thing that Mark and the other gospel writers make clear is that whatever they were thinking during that time, they were not thinking, "You know what? It's going to be OK because Sunday's coming. And Jesus is coming back, because they are utterly floored by what happens here in Mark chapter 16. And as we come and read, we're going to see that the death and crucifixion of Christ was indeed not the end. That was not the end of the story. It keeps going and it keeps going in this remarkable way. So let's pray together and then we'll, we'll read. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you uh, for the privilege it is to gather together here on Easter, this resurrection day. And so we give you thanks. And Jesus, even now, as we turn to this portion of Mark, would you open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to hear what you have for us here. Many of us come this morning uh, excited that it is Easter and ready to praise and to pray to you and thankful to be here. And Maybe many of us this morning are not quite sure why we're here, other than it's Easter and you're supposed to go to church on Easter. Wherever we are this morning, would you meet us? We thank you that all of us are here. By your drawing, by your divine appointment, you have us here for a reason. So God, would you reveal yourself to us now? We ask it in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. It's given to us for our good and for his glory. Even just stopping there, don't you sense kind of the the strangeness of the book of Mark and, and the way it ends? And in fact, it does end here. As you will see in whatever version of the Bible you have, you'll see some note that the following verses uh, we're not in some of the earliest manuscripts, and there's uh, good scholarly consensus that the you know verses nine and following here were not part of Mark's original text, uh, but that somewhere along the line, early in church history, that the that there were those who, who sensed that the, the story wasn't complete yet, and if you know any of the other gospels, you know they give a much fuller account of what happens after Jesus is raised. They have the women going and. And uh, running to the other disciples and telling them that Jesus is risen. They have one of the Marys meeting Jesus uh, in his resurrected body there at the tomb. But that's not the way Mark ends here. And it may well be that the original ending of Mark, that there, was an, that there was a longer ending than this, that was lost. In fact, one of the strange things about Mark is the last word in Greek in Mark is the word for, now, even in ancient Greek, you know, people knew that, you know, you're not supposed to end a sentence with a preposition. Uh, and it may well be that something was lost. Now, we're going to talk in a, in a little while about the, the, uh, the power of the ending as it comes to us. But just know and be aware, if you're not familiar with the story, that uh, Matthew, Luke, and John, the other gospel writers, give us much more detail about what happened to the disciples when they find out that the tomb was empty. But we see the heart of it here. We see an empty tomb. We see that Jesus is not there, that he has been raised by God. And so we're going to think this morning for a few minutes uh, about the resurrection and what it shows us, what it does for us, what it is meant to do in us. Given what the Bible tells us about Christ being raised, what does that mean for us? We're going to see three things. That the resurrection proves something, it illustrates something and it promises something. Proves something and illustrates something and it promises. First, the resurrection proves something. Uh, the gospel writers here are, are wanting, and it is developed further over the pages of the rest of the New Testament that the resurrection is meant to prove something to us. But maybe for many of us this morning, the prior question is proof for the resurrection itself. Like, how do we know we can trust this? How do we know that when it says that Jesus was raised from the dead, that's something that we can put our stock in? That's a good question. In fact, it is the question. Did this really happen? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? I mean, really rise? Physical body, out of the tomb, death no longer has its hold on him. Not just some sort of spiritual resurrection, not just Christ is resurrected in our hearts, but that he walked out of that tomb and left it empty. And if you're asking that question, you put your finger on the question because even the Apostle Paul said, Christianity rises or falls on the reality of the resurrection. It's all penned right here. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to what he says. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If Christ if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You hear what Paul's saying? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are pathetic. Because we're following something that is not true. And everything we put our hopes in is smoke and mirrors. Do you see even what he is saying here? That it is absolutely vital and essential that Jesus really did rise from the grave. Not simply come back to life like Lazarus did, for example. In the book of John, the gospel of John, we hear about Lazarus being raised from the dead by Jesus. The difference is that Lazarus was raised from the dead and he was going to face death again one day. He had his old body back but life restored to it. But what we Scripture tells us about Jesus and His resurrection, is he, he is given a resurrected body. He is given the body, in fact, that all of His people will be given one day when He returns. It is a body that is no longer susceptible to death. No longer can be touched by disease. No longer can be ravaged by all the things that come at us in this world and that would tear us down. He... Rose with his resurrected body, and it was something the world had never seen and has never seen since, but we will see one day again. And Mark and the other gospel writers care to impress upon us that they are trying to say that this really happened and that they're giving us a historical story about what happened. Um, the gospels are full of this testimony that says this is real. It starts with. The story that we are told here of an empty tomb that all four gospel writers tell us about. What is the first proof that Christ is not there? He was, that Christ is risen. He was not there in the tomb. And Mark parades for us, as the other gospel writers do, the witnesses to his resurrection. These women here, they come into the tomb. And what do they hear? They, they see an angel in the tomb. And the other gospel writers tell us there were two angels there. And here's what he says, verse 6. You know, you're looking for Jesus. He is risen He's not here. As if if they didn't get it the first time. Like raised from the dead, risen. He's not here. He's gone. He is alive and here these women are the first witnesses to the empty tomb now frankly for mark and we've seen this more than once in the book of mark uh... there was no culturally no great reason for him to put the first witness to the resurrection of jesus in uh... on the lips of women in their culture because women's testimony was not very highly regarded so Mark and other gospel writers would have had every reason in their culture to try to spin the story some other way. Well, the men showed up first, and they gave reliable testimony. But what does he say? He just says the truth, even though, even though it doesn't necessarily buy him any credibility with his culture. He says, look, he is risen, and here's how it went down. These women came and saw first that the tomb was empty. It goes on. For the disciples, the early disciples, it was the actual resurrection of Jesus that changed everything. In uh, Acts chapter one, we read that Jesus appeared to the other disciples, and he appeared uh, ultimately, we read in First Corinthians to a crowd of about 500 people over the space of forty days before he ascended into heaven. he The gospel writers go to lengths to tell us, "Look, he was seen by these people, these first disciples. When Peter stands up in Acts chapter two and preaches the first sermon. On the day of Pentecost, he says to the people listening, he says, You put Christ to death, but God raised him from the dead, and we, meaning he and the other disciples, are witnesses to that. He's saying we saw him in the body raised from the dead. And when Paul tells us Jesus appeared to 500 others, it's because there were people alive as Paul wrote this that you could go to and hear their own spoken testimony. You see, they're putting everything, all of their weight on this. Jesus rose, and it was a public event. It wasn't just some private thing we saw in a corner in the dark one day. He really rose, and over 500 of us have seen him. His resurrection is real. And for the apostles and disciples, as they made that testimony, you know, what's left of these 11 apostles after they were abandoned by Judas, most of them go to very painful deaths Proclaiming the word of God, proclaiming the resurrection, something that they saw and were willing to die for. The church, after this moment, Jesus dead in seeming defeat. The buddings of Christianity seemingly wiped out. What happens next? Christ is raised and ultimately the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost and the church grows exponentially. It begins to take over Jerusalem and the ancient world and it is across the world today. What is one of the testimonies of the truth of the empty grave? That we are here today, 2,000 years later, because of the power of a risen Lord who is at work in His church. So it matters that the resurrection really happened. But the Bible goes further than that. It's not just trying to prove to us that it happened. It's trying to show us uh, that the resurrection, it's, it's meant to do something. It is meant to prove something to us. It means something for us. As we think about this, think about back in Mark 15 as Jesus is on his way to the cross. And then as he is crucified and surrounded by the crowds who are taunting him. You call yourself king of the Jews. and There you are crucified. If you're a really king, come down off that cross. This man up here says that he, could, that he could save others, but he can't even save himself. What kind of king is this? He is mocked as a fake and a failure, as a pretender, because his ministry and his movement is ending in death. But we find out it didn't end in death. It ends in resurrection. It ends in life. It ends in vindication. The resurrection of Jesus vindicates His claims to be exactly who He says He is. That He is, in fact, the awaited Christ. That He is the long-awaited Son of David. That He is the Son of God in the flesh. He is the one who has come to win salvation for us. The resurrection proves... To us is meant to prove to us that Jesus is exactly who He said He was. We see this being proclaimed by Paul in, in in Romans one four. Here's how Paul is. Here's what he says in his opening lines of the book of Romans. He says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power by His resurrection from the dead. That His resurrection shows Jesus no longer to be Son of God in weakness. Invulnerable to death, but now on this side of the grave, the resurrection shows Jesus to be the Son of God in power, reigning now, vindicated as the one that he told us he was. In other words, the resurrection proves that Jesus was who he said he was, the Christ, the Savior, the one who came to take away the sins of the world. And it means that his death was so much more than some sort of noble gesture of love, Or some sort of example to be followed, it means that his death and in his death and resurrection that something earth shattering happened. Something life altering, something world history changing happened. And it means now that we don't have to wonder as followers of Jesus, as his first followers did as well, we don't have to wonder if Jesus' death on the cross did the trick. Did it do what it was meant to do? Did it satisfy the wrath of God? Did it cleanse us from our sins? Did it really bring us out of death and into life? Did it? Scripture proclaims to us that it did. And how do we know? Because Christ has been raised from the dead. And the one in whom we have put our faith went to death for us but didn't stop there. He rose again that we might have new life in him. You see, the cross, but not only the cross, the resurrection, are the centerpiece of the good news, of the gospel, of the message of what God has done for us. The resurrection is meant to prove something to us. We really have been given life now. But the resurrection, secondly, is meant to illustrate something for us as well. It's meant to illustrate for us, to show us at work, the very power of God. Now... Scripture, first to last, speaks of the power of God. It begins in Genesis with the creating power of God. As He creates all that is with a word, out of nothing. As He sustains the world and everything that happens. As He has this world in His hands. As He sovereignly uh, administers everything that happens. Scripture speaks to us of a God who is powerful. But in the resurrection, we see that power of being powerful put to work to defeat the power of death. The power of death and the power of God clash and who wins? God wins. And death is defeated in the person of Jesus. Now the Bible goes beyond that one more step to tell us that the power with which God raised Jesus from the dead This death-defeating power is the very same power that is at work in your life now as you follow Jesus. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is what is already in your life through Jesus by the Spirit if you are a follower of Jesus. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 1, 18-20. He says this, He's praying for his people and he says, I pray that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. He's saying when when God did that, when he raised Christ up from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father, he said that is the very work, the immeasurable power of God that is at work in you now, in us now, as God's people. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means a lot, but let me suggest this one thing. It means now that we can know that God can handle your life. He can handle it. He can do something with it he can take it and because of that it means that you with God's power can handle your life as well it means you can show up It means that you can be faithful means that you can hold on it means that you can even thrive and know real joy that runs deeper than your circumstances because Christ's resurrection power is at work in us even now thinking about this the last couple days for myself Uh, it's going to have to mean a lot of things for me right now it's going to mean that he can uh, God can handle the details for us of heading to a new home and a new ministry that he can handle and take the sale of our house he can provide a place for us to live that he can build a church core group that he can give us open doors into a new community beyond that it means his resurrection power it's a power I need to continue to see in all those lifelong things, too. It can do something with my fears and my selfishness, with my failures as a parent and a husband and a friend and a pastor. What about for you? What does his resurrection power mean for you? What does it bring to you in the midst of maybe a struggling marriage or declining health or struggles with doubt, or a boiling rage that you can barely contain, for with the fear that paralyzes your life, what can God's resurrection power do with you? It is the very power that raised Christ from the dead. See, the resurrection is meant to illustrate something for us. If God can do that, then he can do all that we need and will. So the resurrection, it, it, uh, it, it proves something, it illustrates something, but, but finally it also promises something for us. And it's this, because we as God's people are connected to Jesus, we go where Jesus goes. That means that because we are Jesus' people, we too will be raised with him. This resurrection life that has come to Jesus, that he has tasted first, is the very same resurrection life that he is going to give to us as well. We see this throughout the New Testament. Here's one place, Romans eight eleven If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you have Christ's spirit, which is poured out on all his people, then then we will be raised with him. The one who has been raised from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies as well. That means your real body, the real flesh, the real stuff. You see, our problem is not that we're physical. Our problem is not that we have bodies and that we have minds that work the way they do. Our problem is that those bodies and minds have been subjected to the fall. Our problem is that our world is broken and our bodies, too, and that they decay and go to death. They don't work the way they're supposed to. They fail us. That is our problem. And you see, the Bible comes and promises that God is going to answer that problem. When the Bible speaks of what will happen to us as followers of Christ, it says we will get what Christ gets as well. And that means for followers of Jesus that when you die, you will, your spirit will go to be with God in heaven right away and your flesh will fall to the ground but it will not ultimately stay that way See, in the biblical view of what we need most and of the resurrection it is not good that we are away from the body and that is why scripture tells us that one day not that we will simply be floating around the you know the pearly gates of heaven For all of eternity, instead, heaven comes to earth and our bodies are resurrected and we are reunited with them and we are finally the people, the integrated whole people that we were meant to be. That's what we see in the resurrected body of Jesus. That is what is coming for us. That we will be real and physical, put back together and healed. Some of you this past year have been to a funeral and many of us no doubt in the coming year will be to yet more funerals and this reality is what transforms the death and therefore the funeral of a Christian. The death does not have the final say. That a body being lowered into the earth is not its final resting place. That though we mourn for the loss of a brother or sister, that we mourn not as people who have no hope, but people who have resurrection hope. That Christ has come back and we know that one day we will be raised and our loved ones following Jesus will be raised. Life will win. It won for Jesus. and It will win for his people. Don't you see that if this is true, then that means that we are to no longer be afraid of death. The Bible talks about death being our great enemy. The one that is insatiable. The one who is always hungry for more, yet who has been defeated in Jesus. And Think with me for a moment about maybe what it would mean for you if you really... Got the fact that death no longer had ultimate power over you. That you are now freed from the fear of death and therefore could be freed from the fear of all those things that lead to death and feel like death. All of the struggles, all of the brokenness, all of the misunderstanding you feel in this world, all of the ways you suffer now will not have the final word. Death does not win. How might that transform our lives now? You know, even as we ask that question, it's hard to step into it with both feet a little bit, isn't it? Because it seems so strange in some ways. Really? Not to be, af- not to be afraid. Not to be afraid. It's almost like we've been you know, inside with dim lights for so long that when we step out of the front door and the sun is there in all its brightness, it is overwhelming and we can't even look and we're blinking around and we reach for the sunglasses and we look down to the floor because we can't stand to look that reality in the face. And we do that honestly in so many ways. And one way that struck me in the last couple days that we do this is with the Easter Bunny. Imagine how the story goes. All of humanity lost at the fall, alienated from God, and headed for a new master, death. God comes in the flesh, in the person of Jesus to come and to heal and to preach and ultimately to die a death so that we could be freed from that death, so that our sin could be broken, so that we could be brought home to God and know again the Father who made us for all eternity. He went to the cross, but then he was raised from the dead as no one else has ever been. And he sends his Holy Spirit out on the church to breathe life into us in ways that before that were unimaginable. And we are going to take the glory of that. And we are going to share it with a rabbit that lays chocolate eggs. Now, this is not about the Easter bunny. But it's simply to say this. Sometimes the most significant things in life are the ones that we have most trouble holding on to. Have you ever been in one of those moments with your friends uh, where the serious thing was on the table and then you, you made the kind of sarcastic, silly comment to divert the conversation back into safer grounds? Or when you were with the person who was struggling and you choked back the tears instead of entering, it into, entering into it with them? or the ways you've not gone and shared yourself with people that you love the way that you long to. Have you noticed that sometimes the things that are most precious are the ones we're most scared to touch even though they are what we most desperately need and we run from them. Well, we run from the resurrection too. Could it really be this big? That death is defeated, that we have been set free. That the world is changed now. That we can trust God in everything. Tim Keller writes this in his book, The King's Cross, on the book of Mark. Why is it so hard to face disability and disease? Why is it so hard to do the right thing if you know it's going to cost you money, reputation, or maybe even your life? Why is it so hard to face your own death or the death of loved ones It's so hard because we think this broken world is the only world we're ever going to have. It's easy to feel as if this money is the only wealth we'll ever have. As if this body is the only body we'll ever have. But if Jesus is risen, then your future is so much more beautiful, so much more certain than that. Because death has been defeated and life wins. And that brings us back to what we have of the ending of the book Of Mark, that awkward ending. As Jesus throughout has been talking about what it means to follow him and be his disciple, and how these women walk into the tomb and are told by an angel that he has risen, and how, at least for the moment, they run out of the tomb and are silent and afraid and unwilling to believe. It's as if Mark asks us this question: How are you going to respond to the news that Christ is risen? Are we going to run from the empty tomb in fear, or are we going to, call, are we going to hear the call to faith and to belief? That is a question for us today, not only to ask, but that we need to answer. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray.